Welcome to the Mini Brands, your daily podcast. The biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 19th. On today's show, I want to catch all of you tennis fans up on everything that's unfolded over the last 24 hours in the pro tennis world. As many of you listeners, I imagine, already know, it is a four-tour-level event week on the calendar. You have plenty of options to choose from as a tennis fan. That said, I know we're only three days in. It's quite clear. The event in Stuttgart has separated itself from the rest of the pack. That WTA 500-level tournament happening this week delivered such a fun Wednesday of action. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Started out with Coco Goff, a thrilling three-set victory over a top 12 player in Veronica Kudermatova. And that's Coco Goff's first match in Stuttgart. And she plays number 12 Kudermatova. I mean, if that isn't a testament to the depth, to the strength of this Stuttgart draw, I don't know what is. Maybe you were more intrigued by the fact that we had Sabalenka Krejcikova, part four, and to see just how comfortable Arena Sabalenka looks, regardless of surface, if she is on her front foot, if she is landing first serves and being indoors in Stuttgart, boy, was she landing first serves to allow her to be on her front foot. It's just a stark reminder of the Tier 1 tennis Sabalenka is capable of playing that she's continued to play throughout the course of this 2023 season. And, you know, again, those were your first two, I suppose, big results off the board today, right? Goff in three sets, Sabalenka in a dominant straight set fashion. You could make a case neither of those were the most significant result of the day in Stuttgart. I mean, anyone who tuned in to the first 45 minutes of Ostapenko Jabir. I think all of us in our tweets, if you're someone who likes to engage in tennis Twitter, I think all of us who are watching that match has some sort of a tweet drafted out saying, yeah, Yelena Ostapenko might be playing her best tennis this year. And Yelena Ostapenko's best tennis in this renewal of, as David Kane calls it, big babe, the power tennis era we seem to see here to start the 2023 season. It just fit the narrative so perfectly that Ostapenko, who certainly at times possesses Serena Williams' power tennis country club power, particularly on her ground strokes, she was blitzing on Jabir off the court. I believe she was up a set in 5-3. I remember for sure it was a set and a break. I don't remember if it was 5-3 or uh, or 4-2. Regardless, to watch Ostapenko play that level of tennis for the first hour of the match and to see things come apart the way they did, and to watch Anjabur slowly but surely go about disrupting Ostapenko's rhythm, lingering in the match, then ultimately getting over the finish line in three sets. It was a magnificent day in Stuttgart. And again, Stuttgart has clearly separated itself from the rest of the pack. So that's what I want to focus on most here on today's show. It's going to be a shorter show. We did have a rain out in Munich, wiping away just about all of the singles action we anticipated on the day. You did have a clean sheet of results in Barcelona. Certainly, you saw Novak Djokovic pushed two, three sets against the talented teenager, Luca Van Asha. And I did a whole Van Asha rant yesterday, so I'll try my best not to repeat myself too much throughout the course of today's show when alluding to him. But again, I want to focus on Stuttgart. It's the first significant... Ah, 
Well, it's the first significant red clay event we've had of this 2023 season. Thus, I can separate it from the green clay we saw in Charleston. So Stuttgart's going to be the focus. It was certainly my focus here today, but I'll get you up to speed on everything that happened in Barcelona, everything that happened in Bosnia, everything that happened, period, across the tennis world here on Wednesday, April 19th. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal for the greatest equipment at the greatest prices. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com today. You'll find everything you're looking for. Babolat, Wilson, Head, Yonix, you know, all the racket choices. I shouldn't say this, but I know a lot of you perhaps dabble in the pickleball as well and not to upset the hardcore tennis fans who I know don't have the most affinity for pickleball as a sport moving forward, but maybe you hold that negativity as it relates to pickleball for just professional pickleball. I don't think you I don't think anyone cares what people are doing in their recreation time. And if you are someone who is recreationally taking up pickleball, let me tell you our friends at Tennis Point, they have you covered with anything you could need, all the best equipment at the best prices. Tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. With that said, let's get into what was a delightful Wednesday of action. In particular, again, I got to start at the WTA 500 in Stuttgart. I mean, again, some of these matches were first matches of the event for some of the higher seeds in the draw. And like, can you imagine being Arena Sabalenka going into today? You know, first clay court match, you're what, 20 and three or whatever the number is overall on the season. You're the number two seed at this event. You're number two in the world. And even though it is a 500-level event that saw 19 of the top 26 players in the world, you're like, all right, I'll get a reprieve in my first-round match. Probably, right? Like, hopefully, you know, for the first time, maybe this is the time I avoid Barbara Krachikova. Nope. Krachikova is match number one of the event for Sabalenka. Fourth time these two have obviously played here this season. And let me just say, there was clearly a comfort level for Arena Sabalenka throughout the course of this match. And again, on serve, Sabalenka was dominant against Krejcikova today. You look at the numbers from the match, Arena Sabalenka, again, a 6-2-6-3 victory in the round of 16. She won 82% of her first serve points. She lost just 12 points on serve throughout the course of this match. Now, look, credit to Barbara Krachikova, again, I mentioned the scoreline there, 6-2-6-3. For what it's worth, Krachikova was only broken three times in this match. And I say only three times. It is still clay court tennis. And I know it's indoor clay court tennis, but I'll tell you what, once we get to, uh, you know, again, as we'll look at the clay court specific statistics, you imagine that break percentage for all these players hovering closer to 40% than the 35% it typically does during the hard court season. The point being, you know, players are going to get two, three breaks of serve. It's, if it's a four and four match, a player serves 10 times. If your break percentage is 37%, you're averaging somewhere between three and four breaks of serve per match. Again, it was a pretty standard returning match from Marina Sabalenka, who blitzed every second serve she got a look at. And credit to Krachikova, who kind of abandoned the second serve early on and just was more content to roll in first serves to the right spot. But it didn't matter because Sabalenka was all over it. Again, Sabalenka winning 82% of her second serve return points. She created eight break point chances for herself, was able to convert on five, uh, on three. But again, the big news, she goes unbroken. She was so dominant with her first strike and how unpredictable she is and how 
You know, that unpredictability used to be such a burden because of the vacillations in level, because you were never quite sure what Arena Sabalenka was going to do. And you can understand the negative connotation of that, right? As fans, we like certainty. We back the players who we know exactly what we're going to get from them, point in, point out. It's funny how that uncertainty, given the rising uh, rising consistency of Arena Sabalenka, that the first serve is more consistent, that the double fault yips are fewer and far between, that it does feel like she can be on her front foot and in her definition of a rhythm in matches, it is crazy how that unpredictability still lingers and how that's become such a positive. Because again, you just never know where Arena Sabalenka is going to go. Yeah, she loves to hit the inside out forehand from the ad side of the court. She loves being able to just bunt down on that ball and drive through it uh, through it on the court. But then she can hit the inside in just as well also. If she is on that ad side, you think she's going to go forehand wing. She doesn't. She lets it get to her backhand. She executes the backhand line so flawlessly. And again, just the depth on her return of serve. That ball is at your feet. You're popping it up. And now Arena Sabalenka gets an approach shot. And I think the consistency of her approach, shot, of her approach shots from a nuanced perspective if you watched a lot of Sabalenka, as I like to think long time mini break listeners know we have here at Crack Rackets, it's... You know, again, it's just how easy it is for her to move forward, how many different opportunities she gets to play on her front foot to fully load on that forehand backswing and drive through the ball. And look, again, Kretschikov is a player who plays with great depth, great consistency, you know, did a good job of mixing up service targets, hitting to the tee on the ad side, hitting to the out wide on the deuce to not not Sabalenka get too comfortable on that backhand return, which in my opinion is the better of her two returns because that forehand is a little bit more inconsistent. It, you know, again, that backswing is a little bit bigger, and yet, not on this surface. It didn't matter because Sabalenka had enough time on the return of serve, and if she gets her racket on it, and if she strikes the ball cleanly, that ball is going deeper than the service line. And again, even Krechikova was forced to pop that ball up, give Sabalenka easy opportunities to attack. I thought Sabalenka did a really good job. She's pretty determined to serve to the Krechikova forehand. And I wonder if that's a wrinkle other players might see from the film, might say, okay, Arena's played her four times this year. If that's the game plan she's going with in match number four, maybe I should adopt that in my game plan more. Or let's be honest, these players aren't watching the film of another player looking for, like, they're not going to watch Sabalenka, Krejcikova thinking, oh, Sabalenka served to the Krejcikova forehand. I should try that. But their coaches might watch the film, and you wonder if anyone is going to pick that up and say, okay, now look, my maybe that coach is like, well, my player can't hit it 115 miles per hour out wide and still generate angle on the ball while hitting it flat the way Arena Sabalenka can. And that's fair. There's like three women in the world, I think. You know, a healthy Osaka, obviously, Rybakina, and Sabalenka. I think those are pretty – and honestly, Garcia belongs on that list with how well she's served over the past year. Like, those are the four people you know that first serve is going to be a weapon for them in each and every match that they play. And again, indoors. Indoors! Like, it's just, it's that much easier for Sabalenka to execute her first serve efficiently. And again, you look for Arena Sabalenka now overall on the year here in 2023. She's now tw- uh, 21 and 3 overall on the year. Not too shabby. You look at the hold percentage for Sabalenka. She's holding serve a ridiculous amount, 85.6% through 23 matches. That's a third of a season. That's a legitimate sample size. I've never seen anyone over 85 for an entire year. And that's what Sabalenka's flirting with right now. And again, in tennis, metrics are really only great in confirming what we see with our eyes. 
her holding 85% of the time is confirming what we see the elite power tennis. She's capable of playing elite front foot. She's breaking a career high 39.2% of the time as well. A career high 10.7 of her first serves are just straight up aces. I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, again, was excellent in a 2-3 and three win over Krejcikova. And for what it's worth, of those 21 wins for Sabalenka this year, eight of them have been against top 20 opponents. She's 8-1 and one against the top 20 this year. Not only is her best, you know, again, not only is she winning consistently, but her best is beating the other bests in the professional tennis world. Again... If you don't believe me, go listen to our 2020 podcast, 2021 podcast throughout the course of 2022. I like to think David Kane and I and Jeff Sackman created the Arena Sabalenka bandwagon. It's not a bandwagon anymore. People are just straight up fans of her game because she is that good and she was that good against Barbara Krachikova today. Uh, that's the biggest, you know, that's result number one. I probably spent too much time on that in Stuttgart, as I alluded to. I think today is going to be a quicker show because I am home. In Michigan, I do want to spend some time with my family, both my parents and other close friends who I consider lifelong friends and thus qualify as my definition of family. Because, And the reason I say that is because – not because my mom's going to hear this podcast. She would have no issue with that. But if she alludes to my dad like, well, he said on the show he wants to spend time with family. I know for a fact my dad would be like, well, you didn't spend that much time with us. You were out seeing your friends. Well, friends are family too. Anyways, at least if they're good friends as so many of uh, – I'm fortunate to have so many of here in Michigan. But again – Straight set results, Sabalenka in straights. I mean, Rabakina just outpowered Julia Niemeyer. And credit to Niemeyer, who kept pace, especially on in her service games. You know, again, Niemeyer was broken three times in this match. She broke Rabakina only once, but Niemeyer you know, wins 63% of her first serve points, 59% of her second serve points. Again, the difference, Rabakina hits nine aces in this match. Ridiculous. She wins 77% of her first serve point. That's an elite clip. She fights off five of the six break points that she faced and, yeah, just did a really good job of minimizing how many second serves she had to hit uh, throughout the course of this match, was able to stay on her front foot. And, again, everything I said about Sabalenka uh, applies to Elena Rabakina so far this year. Rabakina with her victory now overall here in 2023, 24-5 to start the year. And, oh, yeah, I mentioned the eight top 20 wins that Sabalenka has. Rabakina's got nine so far this season. And it wasn't top 20 player in Niemeyer, but she certainly looked the part on these indoor clay courts. Strong start to her clay court season. How about Carolina Pliskova? I know extenuating circumstances, if you listen to the reporting, Coco, uh, excuse me, Maria Sakari, the number eight seed, who was Pliskova's opponent, she was particularly ill going into this week and just wasn't able to get a full week of training in, played the match just because she's a gamer. That's Maria Sakari, but was nowhere near her best form. I think you could see that in the lack of rhythm. And just, again, she was a little bit less likely to go track that extra ball down out of the corner. You just tell the lungs weren't fully there. And credit to Carolina Pliskova. Faced just one break point, fought it off, dropped just 13 points on serve in the match in what was, again, a 2-3 and three victory. So I believe, and I think she held to, to finish. So she served nine service games, dropped, what, again, 8 plus 3 is 11 points, excuse me, on serve. It's a good day at the office for Carolina Pliskova, who's rocking the long ponytail. And I saw a lot of jokes about it on Twitter that she's a different player. She did seem to move a little bit quick. Maybe it's just the effect of the hair in the background. Maybe it was, again, that Sakari's ball was sitting a little bit short. And again, an indoor clay court. It's hard to imagine a better clay court circumstance for Carolina Pliskova than this. She's played really good ball 
here this season. You look for Carolina Pliskova in terms of the points race. She's 13 overall. You look for her in the rankings right now. Pliskova holding strong at 16, 31 years old. I think I said this before. She's, what, the third oldest player? Uh, let's see, at 31 no, she's not the third oldest player. Well, in the top 16, she's the third oldest. She's younger than Kvitova, I suppose, and Azarenka. That's why I was conv- uh, confusing her wor- with age-wise. But yeah, Pliskova is just 31 years old. And I do think she's, you know, again, has had a bunch of different things on and off the court with injuries, etc. She seems to have found her rhythm again. You look for Karolina Pliskova now, uh, again, to begin this 2023 season. I do think record-wise, uh, she has steadied the ship as you look uh, for her now to begin this year. She starts off the season 17-7 and overall. Yeah, quarterfinals in Dubai, quarterfinals at the Australian Open, round of 16 in Dean Wells. It's been a quality year for Karolina Pliskova, uh, especially at this stage of her career. And again, Gets a little revenge for her Indian Wells loss, I suppose, to Maria Sakri. But those were all the straight set matches. Again, only five matches in Stuttgart. Quickly on the Coco Goff, Veronica Kudermatova match. Goff ultimately a 6 2 4 6 7 6 victory over Kudermatova. I mean, this was the clay court tennis I expected to see. Goff with seven, uh, excuse me, with eight breaks of serve in the match. Kudermatova broke seven times. It was physical. It was grimy. Kudermatova was picking on that Coco Goff second serve, was just teeing up on returns down the line. And again, indoor tennis with conditions as stable as they are. I think this is a really good environment for Veronica Kudermatova for her firepower on this surface. Man, Goff's just a gamer, though. Goff is so fluid as an athlete. And again, I don't think anyone's sliding backhand is on the Iga level other than Iga. Goff's the next tier. Like, Iga is the superhumans. And honestly, I mean, Iga's like the Superman. I was going to make a John Jones reference, who's still a very strong superhero in the Justice League, but I, I don't know how much that reference will resonate with many of our listeners. Yeah, it's just like a degree less. It's not Batman because it's not mortal because mortals aren't sliding the way Coco Goff is around the court. It's it's next level up. It is a little superpower Maybe it's the Flash. Not Ezra Miller's the Flash. That's too problematic, as we've learned. Yeah, I would say it's it's the cartoon, the Flash. That's Coco Goff. She's just she really is everywhere. I love her forehand down the line. I love how effective that ball has become in terms of again preventing players from picking on her forehand wing. She throws that high, heavy, loopy ball down the line where, yeah, you can try and take that backhand on the rise and redirect it down the line, but if you do that, you're just leaving so much space open for a quick Coco Golf cross court forehand, which again she deployed effectively against Kudermatova. It's a good win for Goff. And now again she gets the rematch with Potapova. It's a lot of athleticism. A lot of youth, a lot of excitement on the board as we look towards Thursday. Uh, at, yeah, because I believe, yeah, she plays Thursday uh, in Stuttgart. And then, again, I'll go a little quicker through this, last but certainly not least. Anjibur, for her to scrape out that three-set victory. Again, she was on the precipice of defeat. I believe she was down 5-3 in the second set, but Jabur won 6 over Ostapenko. Look, again... I know I went through this in the opening monologue, so I apologize for repeating myself. Ostapenko was playing breathtaking tennis through the first set. Just every return 
was pancaked down the line. Like her backhand return was just in rhythm. And then she started turning freely on the forehand. And it just felt like there was nothing Anjabur could do within her service games to take control of the point. It just felt like it, it was a drop and hit feed, but the rule, you know, a lot of people when you play drop and hit games, right? No winner on the first ball. No one told that to Ostapenko. That rule did not apply on the return of serve for Ostapenko, who would just get Jabur so far stretched in the corner that, you know, again, with the pace Ostapenko plays with, let's not forget she's a former French Open champion, how difficult it is to deal with her ball on this surface. You know, Ostapenko, who in her bad matches, has so frequently struggled with her first serve percentage. She was making 75% of her first serves in that opening set, minimizing the damage Jabur would be able to do on her own return of serve and just, again, rips through a 6-1 first set, gets in, uh, not an early break, I suppose, in set number two as Jabur does get that opening hold, but I believe Ostapenko does go up 3-1, so pretty early in that second set. And again, Ostapenko serves for the match, up 5-4, doesn't get to set point. Goes down love 40 in that service game, and just from there, you know, again, a couple of sloppy errors in that 5-3 service game, and it just kind of... It just kind of stuck, as we've seen, unfortunately, in the vacillations of Ostapenko's game. She just wasn't able to regain that rhythm. And look, I actually think Ostapenko's played better this season than she's played in any year past. She's 13-8 and overall. She's played just about every big event on the calendar. And, you know, again, outside of the first two events of the year, which you throw out in Adelaide because everyone's finding their footing, what are the losses? She was breathtaking in a 5-3 and three win over Goff in the round of 16 before getting knocked out by Rabakina in the Australian Open quarterfinals. 6-1 and one loss to Chinwen in Abu Dhabi, whatever. 7-5 in the third loss to Pagula in Doha. I think that's fine. Three-set loss to Sabalenka in Dubai. Again, I got no shame there. She wins the first set 6-0 against Petra Kvitova before losing 6-0-6-0-6-4 at Indian Wells. The 3-3 three and three loss to Trevisan in, in Miami... It's really the first head-scratcher since Adelaide. And I do think Yelena Ostapenko's best has been better this season than it's ever been in the past. And, you know, analytics-wise, she's holding 68.6% of the time so far this season. That would be a career high, albeit below, again, the average of a top 25 player on the WTA Tour. She's breaking serve 39% of the time, which is below her career average, but still a top 25 number on the WTA Tour. And with the improvements in her serve, the percentage drop-off in her break percentage has been made up for, and she's still doing it at an elite rate. I just do think her best has been better. I do think she's moving better. I do think she she's as fit as she's ever been in her career. And yet again, it's just it's the swings. It's the fact that, that love that five three service game was so atrocious. Just the the backhand spraying and you know again it's one speed for Yelena Ostapenko. That's always been the case. She can go Mach twelve. She does have elite firepower on both wings. She does have elite gumption. Dare I say as well to go for those big shots in the big moments. But again, credit to Jabur. She found the angles. She found the slices. She found that extra gear physically. And if we have any questions, again, how healthy is Anjabur to start this European clay court stretch? Well, we saw her win the title in Charleston. We now see her three sets here to start things off against Ostapenko. It's a hell of a win. A heck of a way for Anjabur to, again, get this European clay court season rocking and rolling. She's, again, got Madrid, Rome, serious points. What final and title to defend at those two events? 
It's all coming for Anjabur. She gets a strong start here. Good three-set win over Ostapenko. Of course, doesn't get any easier as now she'll face the winner of Haddad Maya and Rabakina in the quarterfinals. And just again, across the board, looking at tomorrow's schedule. Bedosa versus Buxa and Garcia versus Maria. They're like, play those at 8 a.m. Because later on in the day, Potapova Goff, Rabakina Haddad Maya, Pliskova Vekic, Sviantek Chinwen. Clear the schedule. It's going to be a really fun Tuesday. And again, all the best players in the world are still around, right? And Ons looks healthy. Sapolenka's cruising. I think some people still want to see Rabakina play on clay more, but I'm telling you, those weapons are going to translate everywhere. We've seen her have success on the clay in the past. We saw, or we know indoors, what a nightmare she might turn in. Uh, we feel like we can project indoors on any indoor surface. What a nightmare it would be to face her. I mean, again, strong start for Rabakina. She's still alive. It is interesting. This is the first event in so long where the name Jessica Pagula just won't come up because she didn't play. And I, When was the last time Jessica Pagula didn't play? 2019? 2018? Something like that. No Pagula this week. Still plenty of juice on the board. And again, we'll keep our eye on Stuttgart all week long. I do want to move over to the ATP side of things now. And again, I'm going to go through Barcelona, uh, Barcelona and Banya Luca pretty quickly here because I don't think there's that much news throughout the course of the day. I think things have set up really well for this next stage. And I think tomorrow I'm going to open the show with Barcelona because every seed won on Wednesday in Barcelona. Not a single seed was upset. Again, Francis Tiafo has been upset, the number five seed, but that happened on Tuesday. You look at yesterday's results, all the top seeds won I don't think any of them dropped the set either. In fact, yeah, you look across the board. Let's go through it. Just a rapid fire here. Tsitsipas, 4-2 win. Looked healthy. Kachin really couldn't hit him off of his spots. It was all serves forehand. Tsitsipas did his thing. Sinner, 2-4 over Diego Schwartzman. Nice bounce back, especially considering, again, how much was tennis was put on Yannick Sinner's body physically last week. Straight set win for him over Schwartzman. You know, again... Everyone won in straight. Sarundalo, straight sets over Pissarro. Evans, straight sets over Arnaldi. Hachinov, a really impressive 4-4 four four win over Nicolas Yari. That featured like three breaks of serve total. What was it? I want to say four because I think Yari got Hachinov once. No, did Hachinov have a clean? I'm trying to think. Did he have a clean sheet server size? No, yeah, he was broken once. That's what I thought. Um... But yeah, like 4-4 four and four against the weapons of Yari, who's a monster on this surface. That's a really good win. Everyone won in straights. Nori won in straights. That's a nice bounce back for him over the qualifier. Pavel Kotov, Lorenzo Musetti, way to bounce back. You know, again, beats Djokovic last week in Monte Carlo before getting knocked out by Sinner. He gets a good opening match win over Jason Kubler. I mean, I guess the Dimitrov 3-1 over Emilio Gomez. The two shockers, the two guys we said 2023 make or break season. Demon Hour beats the rising Alexander Shevchenko. It's that he beat him 0-1. Did not see that coming, especially on a clay court where Demon Hour has always been his least comfortable. Again, though, the physicality he brings, I do see improved depth in every backhand that he hits. The problem is just that flat ball on this surface. How effective can it ever be? 0-1 is a good start, and obviously he's got a match against Grigor. You know, hard courts, I would love that matchup for Demon. Clay courts, it gets a little bit trickier. Is Demon going to be as fluid, as flexible in his corners? What will he do to disrupt Dimitrov's rhythm, who is just in form against Emilio Gomez? And when he's been healthy, has played top 15 tennis 
over the past three years, he just has not been healthy that frequently. I mean, he gets a win, Demon gets a win, and then Shapovalov, 4-3 and three over Joseph Kovalik. Again, every seed won in Barcelona on Wednesday. Do you know how freaking rare that is, especially when you have 16 seeds in an event? And the only seed that's lost so far is fifth-seeded Francis Tiafo, who was the Houston champion coming into it. 15 of 16 seeds through to the round of 16 in Barcelona. Come on now. And again, the other one's Rusevori, which is like not a bad replacement for uh, for Francis Tiafo. Maybe a little less than expected on a clay court, but like, listen to these matchups. And this is why tomorrow, I promise you, Barcelona's our lead, and I'm going to spend all day watching it. Alcaraz RBA, Davidovich Fokina Rusevori, Rude Sarundolo, Evans Hachinov, Nori Musetti, hello, Nishioka Sinner, Demon Dimitrov, hello, and then Shapovalov Tsitsipas. I mean, that's a really good round of 16 in Barcelona. As good as Stuttgart is tomorrow, and I think bang for the buck again, Stut- you probably get better bang for the buck for Barcelona because every match there has something, has an appealing element to it. So that's a really fun day in Barcelona to keep our eyes on. Of course, again, the other result on the day is there was rain in Munich. You had the action in Bosnia. Djokovic, 6-7, 6-3, 6-2 over Luka Van Asha. Djokovic's ball, just it's not moving through the court the way it needs to right now. And that's part of that's a credit to Van Asha, who was everywhere, who did a really good job spreading the court and preventing Djokovic from stepping into backhands down the line, preventing Djokovic from finding any rhythm and you know, it was Van Asha who would be the one to take a chance and redirect prior to allowing Djokovic to do so. Look, the first set was really physical. Over an hour, it goes the way of Van Asha, 7-6. And then, with all due respect, he just wasn't able to sustain that level of physicality, that level of consistency for the next two and a half, uh, next hour and a half, excuse me. But he came close. And again, there are three teenagers in the top 100 right now. Yannick Sinner, excuse me, three teenagers, leave it in. Carlos Alcaraz, Holger Runa, Luka Van Asha. Those are your three. Forget Jerry Shang. Forget Arthur Fees. Forget all the other talented teenagers you've heard about. Again, Luka Van Asha coming off of two challenger victories, end of February, end of March, gets a win in Estoril, gets, you know, gets a win here in Banja Luka over Wawrinka, then able to play three sets with Djokovic, 87 in the world, 18 years old. Of course, you look at Luka Van Asha, he was uh, another one of those, or, you know, uh, one of the French juniors, excuse me, there are a couple in that group who had a bunch of success at the junior level as well. And, you know, look, he was the 2021 French Open Boys Singles Champion. I believe he beat countryman Arthur Fies, if my memory is serving me correct, in that French Open final. It's been a long layoff for French tennis. I mean, again, the gap between the Songa, Gasquet, Simone, Monfils generation and, you know, this Van Asha, Arthur Fees generation, there have been some nice players, right? Like, again, I think Rinder Kanesh, Quinton Halise, Ugo Umber, who's not that old yet. You know, all these guys have proven they are top 100 players, proven they are top 60 players in the world. They're all going to make really good livings playing tennis, but they haven't had a top 10, top 15 sort of prospect in a while. Just how smooth everything is for Van Asha. I don't know what his biggest weapon is yet, but I also don't see a definitive hitch, a definitive weakness. He's just very good already. 88 in the world. You know, not the biggest guy, 5'10", but plenty springy. 
I'm keeping my eye on Von Asha very closely over the next month, and I'll keep all of you updated on his movements. You know, again, in terms of the other results on the day, tough day for Borna Chorich. He just has not found his rhythm to start this year. He's knocked out in three by the always tricky on a clay court, Laszlo Jura. You look at the other results we saw on the day, Molchan, three sets over Lexi Popper, and of course the lefty reached, broke the top 40 of the world, predicated on his clay court success last season. So fluid. Did a good job of finding the Popperin backhand. Did a good job of just preventing Alexi Popperin from hitting forehands from the baseline with his feet set. Outside of that, you know, Zoomer over Brody. Beret over Medvedevich. My birthday brother, shout out, Juan Pablo Frias. Five and three over the lefty. Always tricky, Hugo Gaston. And then Yuri Lachetska, four and three over Gael Monfi. And Monfi just couldn't hurt him. Lachetska had too much time to hit into his forehand, to drive through the, the court. I know Monfils is still working his way back from injury. He's a generational talent, a generational athlete in our game. But he, again, that's I don't know if that's going to be enough for him anymore. I don't know if he that you know innate physicality to track down that 30th ball in the rally. I don't know if he has that gear right now coming off of injury. And just again, he's never been the most naturally aggressive, assertive player. He's always been a guy who's like to go with the flow of the match. And that's why Monfils has been such a joy to watch throughout his career. I don't know. I don't think there's a pathway back to the top 24 Monfils right now, just with his current level. But hey, again, Gael Monfils right now, he's what, 30? Yeah, he turns 37 in September. I guess that shouldn't be that surprising. Um, And more than anything, again, we just want to see him healthy playing his best, hopefully, uh, uh, playing whatever the best version of him looks like. As long as he's healthy and playing everyone, you know, the sport is a better place with Guy Monfils in it, but we can also acknowledge it, it's far from his best uh, right now on court for the 37-year-old Frenchman. With that said, where things stand from a projection standpoint in Stuttgart, Iga still the favorite, 39.5%. In Banja Luka, Djokovic, 50.6%. Barcelona, Alcaraz, 29.6%. Munich, still Zverev, 28%. That's where we are as we approach Thursday's round of 16 action. And again, we will be back on this show tomorrow to break it all down for all of you tennis fans. However, if in the meantime, you're looking for more content, head on over to our website, crackrackets.com, where you can find this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, where we're talking everything, challenger tennis, college tennis, all the other fabulous levels of the game. We cover them all over on the GSP. If you're looking to hear from some of the players you see competing day in, day out on on tour, perhaps the Alexander Shevchenkos of the world, the Peyton Stearns of the world, and so much more you can hear from all of them, of course, over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of it at a new job he does day in, day out, making all of that content possible. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.